Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon and Cleveland, Ohio. We have over 700 books, over 25 employees, and we make about 40 new books every year. And we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. This week, we bring special guest Mark Campbell, author of the brand new, actually not even out yet, forthcoming book, I Love My Queer Kid, which is sort of like a love letter, but also like guidance that many parents and let's face it, like everybody needs to like understanding how to support somebody whose experience is different from their own because of their gender identity or their sexual orientation or any number of things. And, you know, Mark comes at it from the perspective of lived experience as well as professional accolades, which is like, it's like the perfect, you know, like yin yang of like, when you have both, then it's not so disconnected. So can you talk about why you wanted to make this book? Yeah, so obviously, like you said, being growing up queer myself, that's a small part of it. But I think for me, the major part was when I became a middle school counselor. And just in Lake County, Florida, you probably don't know where that is. But yeah, it's pretty conservative. It was very poor school. Um, and I just noticed there was no trainings, there's no support for queer kids. And as I was starting my first school year, which was 2019, what a great school year, 2019 into 2020. Wow. First school year, um, I realized there was not really any um, support for the queer kids. And I started noticing that the students that were suicidal, unfortunately, there was a reoccurring theme. They all had something in common. For some reason, they were all queer. And not for some reason, we know a lot of the reasons why. Um, society is one, parents and families. But then as I offered support and um, eventually started the first queer support group that happened during the school day because I wanted the students to have access to it, and that was hard too because I had to limit it. I couldn't be too big, but it couldn't be, you know, I had to only invite the students that were suicidal basically. And the ones that heard about it and wanted to join, I had, I couldn't accept everyone. And that weighed on me, turning students away, but, you know, outside of the support group, trying to offer support. Um, I just kept hearing stories about families not supporting them or parents saying queer phobic things, transphobic things, uh, students saying this is the only place I feel safe or only place I feel supported, which was like 25, 30 minutes um, once a week. And they would um, walk in smiling, throw their backpacks down, get in the circle and we'd start sharing start with our names and pronouns and 
Yeah, it just, it, it filled my heart, but also weighed on me that I couldn't help as much as I wanted to. I would even ask some students, like, I'm willing to teach your parents. I'm willing to train them. I'm willing to have a very long, tough conversation with them. And a lot of them, understandably, were like, no, mm -mm, no thanks. <laughs> like, let's not do that for fear of it getting worse or them, you know, being punished afterwards. There's a lot of narrative about like what happens in the house stays in the house. So that's another aspect of it. And basically this just came from wanting to help in different ways. And I think it is um, easiest for people to grow and change if they decide for themselves. Of course, you can buy this book for someone else. That also is a little nudge in the right direction when someone you know is like, oh, you, you could maybe look through this and work through this. And then another layer for the um, book, workbook, is that the responsibility is on the queer kids so much in society. I mean, even the phrase coming out of the closet, it just puts so much work on queer people. And I'm not a fan of that. Like the world should be the one changing. The world should be the accepting. People shouldn't assume things. And I like that this puts the work on the parents because really it's their job to love and support their kids. And I didn't want to create a workbook for queer people, even though those are very helpful, big fan of those. But I just noticed the trend that a lot of the work is on queer people. And I wanted to put it on parents, some of which are queer, raising queer kids. Like, you know, you can be a lesbian parent with a trans kid and still have a disconnect and still want to learn and grow. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where my passion came from. It's very exciting. And I actually had a former student this week, it was weird, reach out to me. And she was in the queer support group. And she was like, do you remember me? I'm starting to tear up. I'm like, of course I do. <laughs> so that was um, the whole universe telling me um, that this is um, at the right time. So one thing I really appreciate about your book is the workbook really is a lot of the a lot of the focus of the workbook is on like understanding the concepts, but a lot of it is asking the parent to do a lot of self-reflection about sort of their own experiences with gender and sexuality and kind of like maybe break down some assumptions for themselves. Did you, I guess, yeah, can you talk about, have you like done this work with adults before? Have you, have you seen adults change? <laughs> um, so my, some of my experience was with training teachers. I put it on myself to do a LGBTQ training for how teachers can support their students. And I liked being able to, I guess, push back or challenge their questions by asking them about themselves. Like um, one question I asked is like, oh, for the women in here, do some of you not like wearing dresses every day or like wearing jeans and pants? Those are seen as like, a little more masculine sometimes, but our society has become, you know, it's more normalized. And a lot of them raising their hands like, oh, I can't stand wearing dresses. It's like, see, that's kind of, you know, trying to bridge it for cisgender people, trying to bridge it for 
uh, het people and um that's kind of where some of my experience came from and obviously hearing just what parents say or just what other um adults say and working with a lot of queer people i'm very fortunate that when i started my own private practice just it's like 85% queer so that's been um great you hear a lot you learn a lot and it's been awesome right that's i mean so it's interesting to me because what I would think would be the major roadblocks and what would be the biggest problems or resistance that you would have, it doesn't sound like those are the problems, you know? So like, you know, we face, or like, you know, we published a book and it just got banned from all like California institutions yesterday, you know, for example. And, and so not your book, but, you know, we figure we'll have that problem somewhere, but um, not, or, not, in, uh, yeah, not California. <laughs> You know, but the, you know, so that's the, it's like maybe you're very good at your job, but it sounds like you're not facing like institutional roadblocks or that kind of opposition. It's like, so like, what are the, sort of the biggest problems that you do have in terms of like, yeah, just in like saving queer kids, like making them not be suicidal, you know. Yeah, I, I think what the workbook mainly addresses is just the families and being able to even interact with them because as a therapist, confidentiality, obviously I don't break it. And um, my clients that are children still have confidentiality. I only break it if they're in danger. So it's hard when they're very afraid of not um, getting support or not being understood. And so that is one of the main barriers. Obviously, there's a lot of loss since I was a middle school counselor in Florida that made things more difficult. Um, a lot of my trans teens kind of just understand at this point, like I'll think about hormones when I'm 18, which is really sad because I've seen the benefit of um, trans kids getting them during adolescence where you know adolescence causes a lot of dysphoria. And um, yeah, just understanding and education. There's not a lot out there in Florida. Um, a lot of people just don't know the queer experience and even don't know anyone in their lives that's living their authentic lives, living their truth out. So that's a big barrier in Florida. So we, um, we live in Portland, Oregon in, in 2020. Um, when we had a lot of protests against police brutality, um, the news, the national news was very much like, Portland is a war zone. Um, don't go there, it's unsafe. And we would have people texting us, like our friends from all over the country being like, are you safe? Are you okay? And we were like, are like, like you know, everything's pretty normal. And I was, I feel like what I, what we're seeing on the news now is a little bit like that about Florida. Like it feels very catastrophic. Mm -hmm. You know, if I open TikTok, there's people from Florida being like my life is in danger um and like, are you seeing that like on the ground um probably similar to what you went through in portland not so much i mean also i'm in orlando florida so i'm a little blue bubble more accepting there's more resources here but i had um a trans couple um say they're moving to denver but then 
um, access to hormones kind of came back or if some of the, because, you know, judges are saying that it's unconstitutional to ban a lot of this stuff, which thank goodness we have some uh, pushback on that stuff. And so they're staying in Florida now, but if those things went through, if it became unconstitutional to get hormones, for example, um, for adults even, then I could see a lot of people fleeing. Um, I'm not seeing it too much in Orlando, but I'm sure there's pockets. For example, the middle school I used to work at, I know that like they're not having an LGBT support group. Like I, when I left, it kind of left with me, which is mm -hmm. really sad. Um, obviously the school counselors that stayed were accepting and I, I kind of taught them and made connections with the queer students. Like, you know, this is the other school counselor you can go to if you're struggling, but yeah, Florida, it, it's hard to think about sometimes. And I process it often with a lot of my um, clients, uh, like the client I see later today, he just started college and um, 18 and trans and um, feeling in Jacksonville, you enough, and he's feeling accepted there so far. We'll see how today's session goes. It's been a few weeks. <laughs> right. And, you know, the thing that always strikes me about this type of thing and the news in general is that you'll get these sort of narratives that, you know, Florida's under attack or it's on clampdown. And, you know, but it's not like it's that great anywhere to live that experience because society is really always you know like you're a minority you're right. a minority in terms of like statistically and in terms of power and in terms of like even like advocating for yourself like if you're a minor you're like a double minority you know because you literally have no rights you know and so your parents make decisions for you and you know and so and i, and I think it's like you know, it gets a lot more lip service when, you know, power is further taken away. But I don't, you know, I guess that's the kind of the thing where it's like, I, you know, I, I mentor kids um, and similarly, and it's like the issues that they have are never quite the issues that I would have expected. But then at the same time, they're the same issues that I had when I was that age. So I'm just like, right. okay, well, that's kind of how that goes, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, that's, but it's interesting no. because it's like society has come so far about accepting, you know, no. queer and trans kids since, you know, I was a teenager 30 years ago, but that's not really saying that much, you know? And so it's more like, you know, I guess, you know, so I, I'm trying to like, in, a, in another sense, I'm like, it's, you know, I applaud you for doing it in Florida because it's like, you'll get more of that sort of attention and people will see more like the need for this there. But do you hear from like people that are serving an analogous position in other states about like the sort of issues that they're facing or like what it's like in their experience in a role like a counselor like yours yeah um probably not too much a lot of the other therapists i connect with are in florida but i definitely agree with the similar problems everywhere sort of thing it's not like 
even for mental health professionals, there's a lot of therapists that don't know how to work with trans people, which blows my mind. Um, you, you have to go through training and years and years of experience and thousands of hours. And at the end of it, you could literally never worked with a trans person, never have written a gender for affirming letter for a trans client to get services. And yeah, so it, there's a lot of the same issues. And I also noticed with trans kids specifically, they are growing up in this environment and it's kind of sadly becoming just like another thing that exists. Like, for example, the, oh, I'll just wait till I'm 18. Like I have trans kids just understanding that oh, this is something I can't do. Well, I'll just somehow survive until then. Mm. Um, and that's really scary and sad. But that issue isn't a Florida issue. It's, it's almost everywhere in the country, a lot, a lot, a lot of places. And even places that do have access from uh, minors, it's a lot of hurdles, a lot of barriers because you have to get a sign off from a mental health professional, but also good luck finding some that are trained and understand and empathetic and are comfortable. I have heard therapists saying like, oh, it's kind of scary writing this letter. And my think it's like, why is it scary? <laughs> what's, what's so scary? You could just save a life or make someone happier. That's thrilling. I love writing letters back when I could for minors. Right. That, yeah, that's it's it's odd because it's like you're they're not understanding the risk for the person that the letter is benefiting, maybe. Right. Yes, exactly. Which is kind of our jobs, not to think about ourselves first. It's to think about the client. But I won't spend this whole podcast dragging other therapists. It just it makes me sad because I, you know, I love my field and I just want it to improve, like everything else. Well, maybe your book can be a good resource for therapists who work with queer people of all ages, kids and former kids. Yeah, so. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about your book sort of like as a book. Um, this is a podcast for publishers, so I like to get a little nerdy about the process. So, mm. you know, making a workbook is not, it's not, it's not the same as just like writing a book full of paragraphs, like it's full of lots of moving parts. And can you talk a little bit about sort of the process of how your book came to be? Um, yeah, so I saw the need and I just felt a fiery passion and I subscribed to Canva and started editing cute little worksheets, not knowing that that was not needed at all, spending hours aligning everything, and choosing colors that were cute and all of that stuff. RIP your colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but looking at the workbook now, I'm very happy with it not having all of those colors that would have been kind of chaotic and hard on the eyes actually <laughs> um but yeah so once i made maybe about like 30 worksheets i was like oh this is kind of 
like this is something, this isn't nothing because my initial thinking was just resources for parents that I could just email them like one worksheet at a time, two worksheets. Um, but then it just came in my mind to just see if I could make a, a workbook, you know, 30 worksheets or so. Maybe I could churn out a few more. And Joe replied almost immediately. It was like, yeah, let's save kids' lives. And I was like, oh, this is okay. Let's do this. And sent the contract. Like that beginning part was really fast. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And um, yeah, I just continued writing more. And once I got the first draft together, it's also hard to remember because this was over a year ago, but um, you know, getting you as an editor, Ellie, and kind of working through those stages and then getting another editor, Olivia, which is cool, getting two editors and getting different perspectives because I felt like I got the best of both worlds. And going through multiple rounds of edits, I didn't realize there were so many, but every round was needed, every single round. Um, mm -hmm. It just came together more and more, it started looking good. And yeah, it just eventually, once the edits were done, being sent kind of the, the layout, forgot the official terminology, but what it would look like printed and just going from there. But it was really, it felt long, but also fast at the same time. Um, yeah, every, everything felt smooth to me. Nice. That's great. And that's, you know, and it's hard, I think, because so much of it is like an emotional journey when you make a book, especially when it's like a book like yours that like has an altruistic and like gigantic goal, you know, and that <laughs> it's harder to be like, okay, like, will this be suitable to the task, you know, can right. be difficult to assess, especially when you had like maybe other expectations or, you know, so like, what what do you feel like would be the ultimate mark of success for the book? Ooh. Um, I only ask hard I, questions. <laughs> I just want to hear about real life impact. I think um, I get that sometimes as a therapist, but a lot of times when clients end therapy or leave therapy, you sometimes just wonder about them. You go about your life and you're like, oh, I wonder how this person's doing. Just like with my former students, like I wonder how they're doing. They should be in high school by now. So getting any sort of feedback, whether it's an email or a post on social media saying that my parent went through this and it helped or a parent themselves saying this helped, that would truly mean the world to me. And if it's only one parent, one adult, one person, I am truly happy with that. I um, One of the things that I thought a lot about during the sort of early developmental ed editing stages of your book was um, sort of like trying to do like both two things, like first kind of hold parents' feet to the fire and be like, no, this is your job. This is like your one job. But the other part was like, you have to like be, I guess, you know, and this is something we learned from editing Dr. Faith Harper's books is she taught us kind of about sort of like how to be trauma informed in our 
editing almost and be like you have yeah. to make sure the person like keeps reading but also is like okay yeah. um, <laughs> um i was wondering like yeah if anyone listening here is thinking about picking up this book for themselves like do you have any advice for them and sort of like how to go through it like how to do this very potentially very difficult work um and uh, like be okay <laughs> i absolutely love that question because it is really hard uh the cover looks pink and cute but the content is kind of challenging and i'm not gonna lie about that it's difficult work and a lot of parents will feel uncomfortable their heart rate will go up um, some might have a trauma response i mean we touch on identity and sexuality gender like a whole slew of issues and um yeah, so one thing that we did was pacing. We broke it up kind of somewhat evenly and tell people to take a pause and reflect. Don't try to speed through, um, which can be a response to trauma sometimes is to just like get through it, hurry up. So really slowing it down. Um, we also teach coping skills and to look for signs and when to reach for help. So it shows you ways to cope with the content um it also goes at a slow pace and um, i think those are the main ways that that we address the challenges that could come up throughout doing the workbook which the cover will trick you in thinking that it's going to be fun the whole time it will be some fun maybe 30 percent but 70 percent work it's it's not easy well, like the outcome of many hard things or difficult things exactly. is fun, and yeah. and and like and it's not even just. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it's fun because then you're like, I learned a thing, or like this right. thing that seemed really <laughs> difficult is actually like within my wheelhouse now. You yeah. know, and I think especially Absolutely. for parents, like, you know, because it's like there's literally millions of books about how the best way to be a parent, but like there's no like one definitive book that is like the parenting manual you know and right. and i think it's because it, it there's so many nuances to it that you know and i think in many ways because of that your like custom workbook approach is suitable because then it's like they're literally writing the book for themselves you know but so yeah. Mm -hmm. So what that do you that actually made me think of, um, I'm glad you said that it is fun learning at the end. There are fun activities in the workbook. Let me not, I, you know, sometimes I just focus on the, um, the hard stuff, the thing that will challenge the client, the parent, the, the most, but there are fun activities, um, quick time activities and there are challenges in which you incorporate your child, you work with your child, you do things with your child. So there's a lot of fun parts sprinkled throughout that um, afterwards you can just feel good. One of my favorite exercises to imagine people doing is the one where you get your kid to recommend uh, music. And pop oh, yes. <laughs> I love imagining all the like cringy feelings that the kid is going to have. <laughs> like being along to uh, Team Drash or whoever the you know 2020 version of Team Drash is. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. And I think about this a lot. Where like I am now of an age where I learn about new music on NPR, and that's like that took a really difficult you know self image pull on me, but. You know, but I think that's like, 
you know, when you like ask a kid for music recommendations, usually they'll roll their eyes at you and be like, you would never understand. And you're, <laughs> and you're like, well, well maybe. Too. That's what yeah, I'm <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's challenging mutually because like, uh, you know, like there's that like fear of rejection all over again, you know, where um, like there's a reason that like people in their 40s and people in their teens listen to different music, yeah. you know, and it's like they have different experiences. But um, I did, you know, so maybe do you feel comfortable you, we agreed to do some new books. Do you want to uh, leak oh. a little bit about that today? Yeah, I did do one post about that. I didn't mm -hmm. dive into um, too much, but yeah, I would love to talk about that. So why are the, what are those books and why are they important to you? Um, again, kind of in my wheelhouse, I like tying shit, my personal experience with professional experience. Um, I said that a lot of my clients are queer, but also a lot are people of color, black specifically. So um, just working with black queer people and seeing some reoccurring themes. Obviously, we're not a monolith and there's a whole slew of complexity. And I just wanted to uh, create a queer mental health book for black people specifically because in the queer realm, it's very focused on white people. There's not much diversity there. And um, work with my um, best friend and also another therapist, Chelsea Davis, in creating this. Uh, she is very excellent with couples. She's very excellent with trauma. And so using her different lived experience as a queer person, but a woman and Black, and kind of putting our minds together to create a book, a reading book on that, but also two workbooks, one focused on Black queer women, one Black queer men, and um, being inclusive of non-binary people as well and gender queer people. And um, having those pair with the reading book to try to tackle most of things that we go through, which is, really hard um we're writing we're maybe like 10 percent, 15 percent through and it's just the more you write the more comes up i loved the initial sort of draft and notes that i saw and i also loved kind of seeing your and chelsea's dynamic through that like through our conversation but also in your draft like the parts that are in your colors and oh yeah the draft is in of course a lot of amazing colors that are obviously very well chosen um which probably won't make it into the book, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, have different ways to distinguish who's talking, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but my, I love that, like, Mark, you're, like, sort of pouring your heart out on the page in that draft. You're, like, this and this and this and this and this. And Chelsea yeah. is, like, structure. Yes. Uh, organization. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's, like, you know, obviously, like, it's heartfelt for her and you're not, like, disorganized. But it's, like, a really great, yeah. um, a really great <laughs> combination of strengths. Um. So yeah, I can tell this is gonna be a lot of fun for everyone to put together. When we uh, had our first like in-person face-to-face meeting, um, I kept trying to dive into writing and Chelsea's like, but wait, <laughs> what are we writing? <laughs> what is in the book? And I'm like, and then we'll do this and then we'll do that. And she's like, hold on, let's write a table of contents. And I was like, 
you know, that's a good idea. That's a really good idea. And once that came through, I felt a lot better about what I was doing because my process for writing is just word vomit, just dump everything out. And um, it's helpful to have someone way more organized in that way. <laughs> well, I'm to, yeah, I'm excited to see what your, how your superpowers combine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both of those are totally valid ways to write, by the way. Lots of authors yeah. write with your style and lots of authors with Chelsea's style. And the outcome is equally good. Right. So yes. together, I think it'll be better. Right. I mean, yeah, if you read advice, you would like find every different conflicting <laughs> assertion. <laughs> <of course. laughs> you know? Which well, I yeah. read a lot before starting this process, like how to write a book and just every article is different. Yeah. yeah. Do you, are there like other books out there that you would recommend that you feel like would go well on the shelf with your book that you think people that read your books would also get a lot out of? Well, my do love Dr. Harper's stuff. I like that it's personable and funny and accessible and it's not just a bunch of psychotherapy talk there is educational component but it just has a great blend of all of the fun stuff about reading and all of the good stuff about self-help and i would love to see my books next to hers and they probably would be at microcosm events and bookstore, obviously but uh, I think that's a, a great kind of, I read the, oh, I don't know if I can use language, but one of her books, <laughs> Unfuck <laughs> Your Brain. <laughs> yeah, I read Unfuck Your Brain as kind of um, just to get some inspiration on you know, best practice. <laughs> right. And is that what led you to us was reading her books or where, what led you to Microcosm? Um, I actually just did a general Google search and was just um, like mental health books and queer mental health books and just went on a few different sites and yours came up and I saw her book on your website. It's like, oh, that's really cool. I love the idea of these and um, just worked out that way. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we're one of the few people that are comfortable in that intersection. So that's, you know, that makes sense. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, like pe- publishers are becoming increasingly comfortable to it. But, right. you know, a lot of people that, that publish in your field, it's like government contracts are their biggest customer. Right. So they don't want to go too astray from the mainstream, you know. Yes. And then it did get rejected by a publisher before. Oh, I'm sorry. That's which well. I'm glad I did. You know, right? We're here now. We are too. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It is, and it's that's the kind of the thing where it's harder to understand if, like, you know, most people that like make mental health books, it's like the military as their customer or whatever, you know. So like, they're not going to be able to sell your book in that way, you know. Whereas like we would put it more in the like quirky independent retailers who would be like, oh, my customers need this so badly, you know? And it's like a different, you know, we just have a different, like, I don't even know, I guess supply chain is now the popular turn of phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Well, we have just a few minutes left before you need to go save some kids' lives in person. Um, do you? Is there anything else that you want people to know about your book? Or um, yeah, I guess I'll just do the plug. Um, the workbook is "I Love My Queer Kid." It is out through Microcosm Publishing, so you can pre-order and get it shipped today. But it'll be in bookstores November. Seven, so check out your local independent bookstore. And it is a dream come true, and I poured my heart into it. And I'm really excited to hear about um, the impact. So you can even tag me or do a hashtag, I love my queer kid. And I would love to see thoughts and feelings on the workbook. That's in the workbook a lot, thoughts and feelings. So, <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah. And I mean, and I think it's like, it can't be said enough that like authors do things like this mostly for, you know, like knowing that there had an impact. So like send fan mail to Mark and yes. um, you can send it through us if you can't find Mark. But, you know, the advantage of being a therapist is that like Mark is findable on the internet. Yes. So <laughs> there's, uh, there's that. And um, yeah, let us know, let Mark know about all of your successes and bring us your publishing questions. Thank, thank you, you so much. for having me. This was fun. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm. On Facebook at microcosm publishing on Instagram at microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>